Good morning, friends. Okay, let's try that again. Good morning, friends. We're getting the hang of this. This is a good thing. You know, I'm always a little bit kind of concerned about the fourth Sunday of Advent because we're already saying Merry Christmas, and we really shouldn't. I told told the girl sitting here earlier that, that I was in the wrong wearing a red tie. I should have had my purple tie or a blue tie on to indicate that this is still Advent, right? This light is for next Sunday morning, the Christ light. We're anticipating. We're excited about it. We're looking. Still, I will not be with you next Sunday, so allow me to uh, be in the Christmas mood and, and, uh, and share uh, something with you about Christmas. What a glorious and wonderful season this is. Some of you are thinking that anticipation is all gone because you graduated yesterday, right? Fulfillment has come. I was, I was uh, in graduation ceremonies as well and, and shaking hands and saying, you know, Christmas has come, right? The waiting has ended. You now wear the title. And it's a good thing. Congratulations to those of you who are here this morning also uh, who graduated uh, this, this weekend. Uh, I'll ask you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah uh, chapter 9. And we're going to read from there in just a second. Remember last uh, weekend when we had this wonderful um, Christmas um, singing with the choir, pronunciation and the pronouncement, if you will, of the gospel uh, by through songs. And we talked at the end of that about not being so busy that we lost Christ in Christmas. That's what happened to Herod. He had a lot of other things going on and, and certainly was there to push Christ away from this season. And even the innkeeper that we talked about a little while back, uh, who did not have room for him because of business where success had replaced significance. Can I start by saying this? How easy it is for us to confuse success with significance. No one, when everything is said and done, cares much about your success. The legacy you leave come through your significance. And so we'll talk this morning about someone whose life was everything that has to do with significance. You know, Christmas has one center point. It has one purpose, one main person, as we said also last Sunday night. And I cannot imagine any place in Scripture where that is spelled out in any stronger way than in chapter 9 of Isaiah. About 800 years before Christ was born, Isaiah said this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I'm going to ask you this morning, like I did last Sunday morning, to stop a bit and just reflect. Not run so fast, not even just listening to a sermon that runs through a text and, and talk about how we are being taught by Christ, but simply for us to sit down and wonder and be filled with the beauty of our wonderful Savior. Think about this. Is that not really a part of our worship? Is this not a part of our worship to be filled with wonder about the wondrous and wonderful Savior? Can we look at him on a morning like this, the last Sunday before Christmas, and allow our souls to be filled with his beauty? A light is shining, the text said. A sun is given. One whose name shall be what? Wonderful. Wonderful. About 800 years before, this is what Isaiah said. And so if you this morning can get just a glimpse of that light, that light in your own heart, that light in the world around you, you will notice that the source of that light is no one else than the one who is called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, and so on. I don't know how much Isaiah really understood of his own prophecy. The letter to, that Peter wrote in his very first chapter, the very first letter, he's speaking about the prophets as always being intently and intensely seeking to find out what the content of the prophecy that they gave was. And so, God decided through faithful prophets of old to let us know his purposes for this world and even for us through people who reported on what God had told them. Isaiah likely did not see the depths and the significance of what that meant for all the generations to come and even to the ends of the earth. But we do know that he was keenly aware that the one who came would be recognized by these names, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. That we know. And we think about that. The first of those names was wonderful. Wonderful. These are names that talks about his character, names that talks about his deeds, his task, and his function in the life of human beings. 
What can we know? Well, we know that David contemplated these things. Old King David. And he allowed his heart and his soul to be filled with wonder and reverence and gratitude. And then finally, he just simply expresses, this is too much. I can't take it in. It's too high. I am not able to even attain it. So can we, friends, dwell this morning on the one who was more wonderful than anything that you have ever seen that was wonderful, more marvelous than any marvel you have ever stopped by. I spoke last Sunday morning about his everlasting character, his eternity. One of his names is that he is everlasting father as we saw. And and what a paradox. Just think about it. If you even are able to stop and say, I'm going to put my gear in neutral and just sit. And behold his beauty. Can you do that? You know, I have to repeat that sometimes because we're just so not used to that. It's always about the fast lane. But stop for a moment, friends, and just consider. The one who is the everlasting father is also called son, father and son, born into this time, and yet the Lord of eternity. Think about it. Help me reflect now on the wondrous character of Christ. If you need some place to look, just look at that text. He shall be called wonderful. An old man comes And he sits himself down by an ancient, ancient tree, giant oak. And he's watching little children play. And one of the children runs over and sits right by him. And he begins to tell stories. Stories about the days of old. And the child is looking at him and wondering about his wisdom, about how old he is, about all the experiences he has, all the knowledge that he has. And the child thinks to himself, he must be as old as the beginning of time. But then think about how short this life of this old man is compared to that ancient oak that he leans up against that was planted there hundreds of years before him. The old tree where storms after storm has raised through its branches. Generations of people have come and gone. Human ideas have developed and disappeared again. History has left his marks since the time when that tree hung as a seed on another tree. 
But what is that old tree's lifetime compared to the dirt in which its roots are planted, that soil that had given it nourishment throughout all its time? What an incredible story, every little particle of that soil could tell. But imagine how short that story would be compared to the cliffs that this soil covered, these rocks that have been there seemingly forever. Stories they could tell maybe of the time when the world was empty and void. Back when there were darkness over the deep and over the depth of the universe. Maybe that cliff could tell us about that morning, that first time when it became morning and evening on that first day. And yet what is the, the story or lifespan of that cliff compared to the oceans that flow over it and, and cover it when the tides are high? That deep blue sea where thousands of ships have crossed without leaving as much as a mark. And then, what is the time and the time span of that ocean in comparison with the, with the history of the heavens and all the stars that are filling their space? And then, you wonder, at least I do, what short time is the history of these heavens and these stars compared to the throne room of God where angels, scores of angels have sung his praises since the first day of eternities. And yet these angels all like newborn babes compared to the one who is called everlasting father. Can you stop this morning just to look at his beauty? Can you find that deep reverence, that depth of wonder, about him who has become our redeemer. The one the Bible says was before all things, above all things, and through whom all things that are have been created. For his name is wonderful. He is indeed wonderful in all his eternity. But he's also wondrously wonderful when you look at his birth, which is what we do in this very season. Again, can we focus on this? Can we become so captivated, maybe even enthralled about the wondrous character of the one who is wonderful? The eternal of days becomes a newborn child. 
I think, friends, if we're going to say anything about anything being wondrous, this is the wonder about all wonders ever. This is where that old Psalm 8 spreads his glory and his light in the strongest of ways. Let me read it to you. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, would you have set in place? What then is a man that you are mindful of him, a son of man that you care for him? That's the miracle, friends. That's the marvel. But it was a marvel and a miracle also when Joshua asked the sun to stand still. It was a wondrous miracle when the sundial of King Ahaz went 10 strikes back. But, may I say, compared to this, compared to the wonders of Jesus' birth, these shrivel to nothing. You know, all through history, we have been filled with wonder. That's what happens to us as human beings. Time and again, we wonder about things. Actions of God that are pointed to depths of our existence that are just too deep for us to dive into. And we dare not always jump in. When you stand, though, before that manger in which the creator of heaven and earth lies as a little child, imagine this. Jesus Christ, son of God, born of a virgin, becomes a human being. Oh, wonders of wonders. Unlimited yet in a manger. Eternal and yet born by a virgin into time. Almighty and that yet dependent upon his mother's breast. The sustainer of all of the universe and yet carried in his mother's arms. King of kings, king of heaven, and king of glory, and yet called the son of a carpenter. Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Can we say his name is wonderful? I hope you're slowing up and allowing yourself to contemplate. And to look at beauty. Because he is wonderful also when we look at his death and his resurrection. Can we do that? I know this is about birth and new life. But let us gather for a moment about around the cross. That at one and the same time came to stand as the symbol of evil and death on the one side. And the symbol of love and life on the other side. A symbol of human cruelty and evil 
and a symbol of God's love and grace. Think about this with me just for a moment. Can you imagine a greater example anywhere of a wonderful Savior, a wonderful God, that someone who can take the cruelest device, instrument of death ever thought up by human beings anywhere on the globe and turn that in to the most magnificent symbol of love? It was when human beings were blinded by their own evil and darkness that God chose to show himself as a wonderful Savior. So great was God's sorrow over human sin that he himself opened the door that we may be able to fellowship with him and find redemption. That great love that flows like a river of life through our own lives so that death is transformed to life. Oh, how marvelous. Wonderful love who voluntarily waives his right to be majesty and glory and voluntarily accepts nothing but suffering and humiliation. Wondrous power that enables Jesus, if you will, to carry all the fullness of the wrath of God for us. Wonderful justice that accepts the punishment that should have been ours. Wonderful mercy that carries and endured the pain to bring salvation even to Nacogdoches, friends. Even here, his name shall be wonderful. He's the one who enabled all those who believe to stand one day before his throne unblemished. But really, when you start thinking about it again, the most wondrous thing about Jesus' death was not death in itself. It was his conquering of death, that is, his resurrection. Where can we find a mystery more mysterious than this, that he who was dead became alive? There are no marvels, I don't think. No wonders who are greater or that can even compare with this marvel and this wonder. There is no amazement that can compare with this kind of amazement. Again, do you see his beauty? Are you struck with wonder? I'm asking you to let that wonder run deep. Gain deep, deep, deep roots. 
You know, wonder is the kind of emotion that, that usually is somewhat short-lived, yes? We know that. There's even an old proverb that says that, that wonder gets gray hair in about eight days. And it's true. Think of what people, how they reacted when the first car was driving and they were amazed. And, and when then the first airplane was flying and they were just dumbfounded and awestruck and when we sent the first rocket into space and we were just out of our wits with awe and amazement and wonder. But now, maybe not so much. Because this is the thing that happens when things, with things that are created by human beings. The more you study them, the more you get to know what is actually happening. My old granddad, who was so dumbfounded how they could send pictures through the air onto screens in every kind of home that had that screen device. Television, yeah. But the more we study, the more we know, and the more we know, the less we marvel. And friends, that's the most wondrous thing about the one who is wonderful. Because he's the exact opposite. The more we study him, the more we behold who he is and what he taught and what he did, the more wondrous he becomes, the greater wonder we will find in our heart. We get to the point finally where we have to stand next to David and cry out, it's too much, it's too wonderful for me. You can look it up yourself in Psalm 139. It's just too high. I cannot attain it. He is wonderful, is he not? We live in a generation where we meet everything with the question, how do I benefit from this? What do I get out of it? Personal benefit is a driving force for most human beings. Is how it is, unfortunately. But the wondrous nature of Jesus Christ is that with him it was the exact opposite. It was totally and completely opposite. Your benefit, friends, are you hearing this? Your benefit was his driving force. It was to your benefit that he is comforting your sorrow. It is for your benefit that he is participating in your problems. It is for your benefit that he resolves the knot that are just tying your, your marriage and giving it troubles. It is for your benefit that he removes the fear from your heart it is for your benefit that there's healing in his name. It is for your benefit. How majestic is his name. But not only what he has done, but what he is doing even now. It is for your benefit 
that he is friend with the lonely. It is for your benefit that he grants joy to those who are downtrodden. It is for your benefit that he forgives those who are guilty. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. It is just too high. We cannot attain it. It is for your benefit. And if you want to go back to the Psalms, you'll see again, and it finally exclaims and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefit. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. See, in the same way he was able to take the cross and transform it from being an instrument of death and turning it into a symbol of love. He is also able to transform your, your trials and your troubles and your difficulties. Even the everyday humdrum of your life and make it wonderful. Because his name is wonderful. Look at him, friends. And when you do, when you actually do stop up, sit and behold his glory. Look at his beauty. You will find that that which looks like a sundown will turn into the most beautiful sunrise that you could possibly imagine. He is wonderful in his deeds even for you and even now and even beyond that into eternity. Let me wrap up with this and just look at it here. His desire for your eternal life even. He's the one who says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to do so to make a place ready for you. And when I made that place ready for you, you can look it up in John 14. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me because where I am, you shall be also. How is it possible, friends, ever to exaggerate or even to fully explain, maybe even to give a picture of the wondrous character of our wonderful Savior? I hope this morning that I've been able to at least kind of move the curtain a little bit that we may see at least a glimmer, a glimpse of his beauty, of that light that will shine in the land of darkness, that will increase our joy and multiply our praise, even in a Christmas season like this. Because his name shall be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and his kingdom and his reign. To that, there will be no end.